You're listening to a podcast of Spurious Morality. Welcome to a podcast of Spurious Morality. I'm Connor, and I'm joined by Mark. Hello. And Greg, hello. Hello. Um, and we're doing something a little bit different this week. This is this is a first for us, where we're going to uh, uh, we're going to have a little bit of a, a visual element in this week's episode because we're going to do a commentary. Um, I've never ever done a commentary track before. This is going to be a bit. Uh, this is going to be a bit novel. Um, how how are you feeling about it? This is also my first time, so uh, I'm excited. Yeah, I've listened to many as a commentary, but doing one is a, an entirely different kettle of fish. So if, if I, I, I don't know whether, whether I'll be good, bad, or indifferent at this, but we'll, we'll give it a go. Uh, I know you guys will have lots of interesting <laughs> things to say, so. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Um, the only one I've ever heard before is Russell T. Davies and Katie Manning on Death uh, of the Doctor from the Sarah Jane Adventures. So that's... Um, <laughs> You're setting a low bar for yourself. My goodness, I mean, those two are fantastic. Wow. Um, so it's it's all going to be very new. Um, I'd be interested just to know before we start, how did you guys first hear? I assume you both watched Doctor Who before the new series started. How did you hear that uh, it was coming back? And and the, uh, how did you feel about watching the first new episode? Do you want to go first on that, Craig? Or yeah, I mean, okay. When I was in uh, in college, when Doctor Who came back, and I mean, I'd been watching it on American public TV, the classic series, since I was four or five years old. So I was already just a obsessive fan of the program, and there'd always been rumors of the show coming back and so forth. And then there was, you know, obviously the TV movie, and then there was, you know, Scream of the Shalka, but like. I just remember what going on to the old Doctor Who news page and one random day and all of a sudden just huge headline like Russell T. Davis to bring back Doctor Who. And I was like, this cannot be real. And that was like a year in advance. And so that was, I mean, a lot was going on in my life, but still, man, like the anticipation of waiting for Doctor Who to come back and then of course, I, it didn't air as live in the US back then. So I had to acquire uh, this episode at the time through <clears throat> alternate means. And um, yeah, it was, it was just a, a mind blowing experience to finally get to sit down and watch new modern Dr. Who. And Mark, what, uh, what was your uh, experience of it at the time? Yeah. I, like Greg, like I, I was a long, long, long time fan, you know, so um, my, my earliest memories, I, I'm, 
about, about nearly 46. And um, so I, my, my earliest memories go back to the, even the late, the very late Tom Baker era, you know, so, so that's, that's kind of my, my kind of vintage. And I, my fandom really started when um, Doctor Who just suddenly didn't come back one year and I was, I had to go on a fact finding mission. And, and from there, you know, that sort of <laughs> solidified the whole like card carrying, like, you know, obsessive fan kind of experience. And so I'd gone through what many call the wilderness years, what Paul Cornell calls the, the theme park years, you know, with the new adventures and all of that. And I'd come to a place of just accepting, you know, Big Finish and the books and whatnot are Doctor Who now. And, and you know, we're, we're a very small club that still carries the, the, the torch, but, you know, we're getting really good quality stuff here and it might as well be that as, as anything else, you know. And then um, suddenly out of the blue, I woke up one morning. It was my habit at the time to listen to Radio 5 Live in the mornings because I thought, you know, I would ingest a bit of news first thing. And so I put the, the earphones in and I could hear a DJ, over, well, a presenter over here called Nikki Campbell just talking about how Doctor Who was coming back. And I was going, what? I, I, I must be still asleep or something. And um then he was saying it's going to be made by BBC Wales and this and that. You know, there was there was actual solid facts coming into the story, and I thought, wait, no, I am actually awake. This is this is bizarre. This is like, and you know, like from there, I was just both awake. You know, just thinking, this is this is insane. Like the the, the impossible miracle has, has happened. And then Russell T Davis's name was mentioned very quickly into that, and his whole TV pedigree was mentioned, and and, and all of that. So there, there was a lot of very early, even right then, that first morning um very positive talk about how the show was going to be and how it was going to feel different and so on and it, it was all very encouraging sounding and I, I remember going down to work in, in a daze because uh and sitting at my desk and then turning on and double checking that, that it was actually a news story on the bbc website um so from there obviously the excitement built and built and, and you know tidbits of information but i remember that first stop press in doctor who magazine i remember russell T. T. davis joking i think of that first news story that he was going to bring back the Garm and uh, things like that. Um, and then gradually things began to fall into place, like Christopher Eccleston's casting and the, fir the first mention of Rose and things like that, just creeping into the pages of Doctor Who magazine over months and months. And then I, I can remember very clearly just that, that night of broadcast, um, a few minutes before the, the show actually started, because it was obviously doing that, that sort of countdown, you know, pacing up and down, waiting for the show to start. And, um, that that Graham Norton thing, <laughs> you know, the, the live show that ended up interrupting the, the, the broadcast, as is now famous, was on, you know, in the background. And I just had it, had it on on mute. And I decided, it's, it's a strange little thing, but I just had this thought in my head of, um, I don't want to forget about Big Finish in, in, in all of this, you know. So I'm just going to give, while I'm killing time, I'm just going to give The Natural History of Fear, which had just been released, a little tiny listen. And it was the pre-title sequence. So I just listened to that. And the very last words in that pre-title sequence are Paul McGann saying, it's time. And I just thought, I just I just stopped it there and I thought, yeah, that's perfect. And it is time. And then I turned on the TV and Doctor Who, like TV, Doctor Who started and we were away. And it was, well, I, I was just in a, yeah, it was just an amazing time. I still can't believe sometimes, I, I still even now, nearly 20 years on, get hit by this the feeling of like, I can't believe this is real, you know, it's, <laughs> that we've had all this. Uh, well, I, I, the first I heard about it was about two hours before it started, and I'd never, ever heard of Doctor Who before. Wow. Um, and that was <laughs> one of my uncles who watched it back 
you know, when the classic series was on, just happened to mention, oh, it's back tonight. We should all watch it. And I was, I, I questioned him over the, you know, I got, I don't know, for whatever reason, I, I was hooked on hearing it. You know, I was, I was really interested in hearing about it. Um, and he told me all about the Daleks and etc. and about all the different doctors. Um, and I then was really disappointed when the Daleks weren't in rows because I expected them to be in the first episode. Um. But um, I think we'll maybe just get started and press play and see where we end up then. Um, so we'll do a bit of a countdown here. Um, five, four, three, two, one, go. And we all hit go. We all hit play on the word go then. So uh, as long as everyone's sitting comfortably, we'll begin. So five, four, three, two, one, go. And we're away. I guess the first thing that immediately jumps to mind for me is like how like pleasantly surprised I was that they had kept the same general idea of the title sequence and the theme music and everything else. Yeah, um, love that. And yeah, just straight into that vortex feeling. But those big giant like Hollywood letters are, were, were felt very new, you know, that sort of, you know, uh, bombastic sort of you know introduction of like the names and big block letters zooming out like the superman theme or something <laughs> right you know the superman title sequence it was kind of like that at the same time i love this um whole shot of the earth thing um like i read somewhere um that every season possibly between 25 and this starts with a shot of the earth and i'm not sure i can't remember what's how uh season 26 starts but i love that it held true right up until I don't know if it was series five or six or seven, but every oh, yeah. series between 25 and then like five or six of the new series starts with a shot of the earth. That's really cool. I think season 26 starts with the Brigadier in a garden center, but it could be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it does very shortly afterwards have a clip of, of, of the earth with a really cheap effect, but um I'm not sure it, if it, it's so close to being true that 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 will run, you know, uninterrupted run. I'm not sure if we've missed it there, but in that opening sequence, or possibly a wee bit later here, uh, we might be able to see it. The number twenty three to put new common is here. It's Iris Wildtime's boss. Oh, you're joking me! That's brilliant. Also, they had there, there's a cool bit here where um, the music, this this really sort of peppy music that that Murray Gold is introducing things with quite quite bravely. Um, it, it actually just turns diegetic for a, for a little second, you know, while you're in the, the the store there, you know, it actually becomes the the super the the, the clothes shop's own music, and I just thought it was a really nice touch. What I love about this is how defiantly different it is. Um, I mean, it's it's not only like the fast pace, the the music, but it's also like the really like bright colors, the saturations turned up, like it 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 feels in these first few minutes, you know, nothing like, like classic Doctor Who. And, you know, there was always a, a question, you know, well, what is, you know, RTD going to do? I mean, is this just going to pick up where the classic series left off? Is this going to be its own thing? And no, it's, it's pretty, I mean, it's obviously got one foot in Doctor Who, of course, but it's pretty defiantly its own thing. Yeah. It glows, doesn't it? That, that I remember Russell T. Davis talking about how he, he wanted it that if people were channel hopping, they would they would get this sort of warmth coming from it. You know that, that something would just sort of come off the screen at them, and that would make them just 
stop even two seconds in and sort of watch this thing because they like the the tone you know the color as you as you were talking about that sense of i mean it's an odd thing to look back on it now it looks so kind of dated that filmized video look but i do really like it i'm very nostalgic for it as i'm watching it here i love the lighting here yeah it is really really creepy like um and we're coming up on on you know the reveal of the autons and it's it's played very subtly like it's not played i suppose for for people who have seen the classic series like you know obviously anyone who has seen spearhead and terror sees someone in doctor who walk into a room full of shop window dummies and knows what's happening straight away but this all feels very much like it's played for new viewers like we're about to discover this this um you know, like they're not drawing attention to the dummies here, and it just is going to happen very naturally that one of them, like one of them, moves or turns its head or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I like that it's bringing in. You know, it's it's focused on on bringing. You know, it's focused on new viewers right from the beginning. And talking of terror, this, this is the moment where Graham Norton's live feed cuts in for about a minute, <laughs> <laughs> and everybody just collectively holds their breath and goes, "Please don't let this be ruined." <laughs> Um, you know, people, please don't have the people turning over because of this nonsense. You know, but um, I guess that one's we've survived that one. Did did they announce in advance that the Autons were coming back? Like, or was this was this left until broadcast? Oh, that I can't actually remember. Yeah, I don't remember. I think they said. Sorry, Greg. I'm just saying I don't remember. I mean, I know like they would often, you know, tell you one thing was coming back to conceal that something even bigger was coming back. But at this point in the show, I'm not sure. Mm. I think so much had been seen of behind the scenes for this one. True. With the public filming that that one was out of the bag, not necessarily officially, but um, certainly amongst fans, you know, Unlike in Spearhead or Terror here, you get a lot of close-ups on the mannequins and they're like blank expressionless, you know, rubber faces. And it, it, it's really creepy. It works really mm. well. I was just going to say, it's really strange seeing the 2005 fashions again. Like You, you wouldn't see anyone <laughs> dead in that shirt now. <laughs> that lead autumn with a sort of stripy purple one. <laughs> That's true. I love that, actually, um, that the autons are full-on running there. Um, like they're properly sprinting after them because like a lot of times in you know classic who they sort of slowly shamble after you mm-hmm. and that one there they're they're genuinely chasing them like modern zombies 28 mannequins later yeah <laughs> <laughs> i love all this stuff in the lift about you know, the students and he's going yeah that, that, well done that makes sense you know he's so he's so himself so quickly the ninth doctor you, you He's, he's like no other doctor you've ever encountered. Just everything's really um, to the point and blunt. And um, they yeah. never do that wee visual effect with the sonic screwdriver again. Actually, that's the only time that they have sort of have the actual like you see a sonic wave come out of it, um, mm-hmm. and it's sort of like a like a blue projection from the bulb. You never ever see that again. It's just the 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 practical light. <laughs> yeah, a bit, a bit of money saving later on. They, they they learned where to where to splash the cash and and where not. Also, and I say this with love, if they put that effect every time the sonic screwdriver was used, they would have bankrupted the BBC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Are you saying the Sonic's been slightly overused? I, I'm shocked no, at this news. Absolutely <laughs> not. Why would you suggest such a thing? <laughs> oh, here we go. It's the oh, so I'm a bit 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 early there. Actually, I thought the first the first reveal of the TARDIS is coming up very shortly, isn't it? I haven't seen Rose in a long time. <laughs> that is a perfect intro for his Doctor. Like it, it just works so well. Yeah, amazing. I, I remember watching this and thinking, you know, what the heck is this? Like, this is so much different from what I remember. But as soon as Eccleson was on screen, it's like, oh, that's the doctor. Like, like yeah. I, I, I bought it instantly, like not a doubt in my mind. Yeah, same. Oh, there she is. I love Hello. the wee musical, like you hear a wee bit of the theme there as well. Yeah. And if, if, you, if you had any doubts that this was nearly 20 years ago, look at that TV. Look at the fact that they've got <laughs> blank VHS cassettes on the on the shelves. Um, just yeah, it's just it's just a little time capsule of two thousand and five, and the fashions, as you say. <laughs> Jackie's straight on the phone there to try and get a an exclusive to the newspapers. <laughs> 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 so the phone down straight away. I always thought that was really funny. Yeah, Billy Piper was just straight straight off the bat because there was a lot of you know there was a lot of raised eyebrows about Billy's casting, wasn't there at the time? I do you remember that amongst fans, and then everybody sort of had to kind of not everybody, but those who were skeptical kind of had to eat their words very quickly because they were like, oh yeah, I know she's brilliant. Um, I had no idea who she was, so it it that was. <laughs> <laughs> it was fine to me. I, mean, I, I saw a lot of fans complaining, but I was yeah, like, yeah. I'll, I guess I'll take it as it comes. Catherine Tate as well, because, you know, there was the whole, when, when it was, I found her a bit um, OTT in the Christmas invasion. And when, when it was revealed that she was coming back in the, for a full series, even I, I think was a bit like, oh, I don't know about this. And then she turned out to be brilliant. Um, so I guess what we've learned is that Russell T. Davis really knows what he's doing. <laughs> um, you get that in, wee... in many respects. I was just going to say, you get that wee bit there where it's the BBC News feed and it has the BBC brand and all. I always loved, and it always seemed to happen more in Russell's era, um, where it's, um, you know, you get the things like the BBC News intro and sometimes you get BBC News hosts um, playing themselves on, on the broadcasts. And I always mm-hmm. thought that felt really, you know, that, that felt like a grounded the thing is sort of like a tie into the real world. Yes. I think Andrew Marr turns up in this one, doesn't he? Back, back in his roving correspondent days. Um, yeah. He's, he's in, um, it's the Slidine, it's, he's in, um, it's the one with the Slidine. I think he's definitely in it. Oh, I could be mixing the two up. Sorry. Um, he is but in that it's... one. Sorry. You're right. You're right. It's because it's, it's that first recording block with Keith. Is it, do you say Boak or Bo, Keith Boak? Or Keith Bowack, that was the director anyway. So it's it, yeah, some of that's sort of enmeshed in my head because it was a because I haven't watched it in such a long time, but partly just because it's it was all filmed quite close together. Oh, I love this bit the head through the the calf lap. It's so the broad comedy in this is so <laughs> it's cartoonish at times. You know, Russell T. Davis loves just these. He, he, he paints in quite broad brushstrokes sometimes on these. But I think it's effective. I mean, it, it really defines his characters so easily. Like, that's one of his great strengths as a writer is that, 
Yeah. You can spend two minutes in a room with a character and you know exactly what they're like. Yeah, it's extraordinary. <laughs> and the meme was born. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love all the little touches of this flat too. Like there's there's different little paint samples just stuck onto the wall there, but nobody's ever done anything about the, the actual re renovation job. You know, it's... now this this is this is great here. He flicks through the book. He has that red in less time than it takes to read out the words Rose Tyler from that from the front of that letter. Oh, there's the moment Big Finish have to ignore to make every single Eccleston audio work. <laughs> yeah, but I think it did hear Russell himself say he he never really intended that to be like, I've just regenerated. He was just kind of checking out his reflection, which he hadn't seen in a long time or something, or, you know. There's there's so much happening in this, in this scene, actually, and it's just occurred to me while we're watching it here. Um, Like, he's going through, he's having a conversation with Rose. He's, he's learning about everything that's, you know, he's sort of, like learned about the world around him here um but we're learned about him as well the whole thing about the ears and the face i do take it to mean that he's just been recently regenerated um but it feels much more faster paced than the classic series you know and it feels like that's the first sort of concession to being 45 minute episodes rather than four-part serials yeah I, I, I was just reminded recently that Chris Eccleston actually did this in his audition piece. He he, he sat there and wrestled with a plastic hand in in the, <laughs> in the wherever it was, you know, some hotel room somewhere, you know, where they tried out different. I I think I don't I don't know how many act, actors they actually did audition, or was it just him? But he had to audition anyway, kind of thing. But um, he he was talking about that at a convention or something recently. That in itself is extraordinary that he's doing conventions. We never thought we'd see the day. That or a big finish, I guess, but this is where I, I really like this scene, but you can sort of see Chris being a little uncomfortable or a little uh, not quite he's quite broad with the com the comedy facial expressions right here. He's almost like Walls and Gromit kind of, <laughs> you know, rubbery faced in it. And um I think he tones that down a little when, as he goes on, but he, right here you can sort of sense that he's just a wee bit, I don't know, slightly out of his comfort zone doing the doing the broad comedy. And but when he switches in a minute, when he when he walks away from her after the turn of the earth speech, um, the change in his face is just brilliant. I love it. I think he does a really good job too. Like, and and this might just be coincidence because this, like you said, he was just you know figuring out how to play the character, but like. Some of the broad comedy almost feels a little bit forced, you know, and like like the, the smile is just a little bit too big. The expressions are a little bit too rehearsed. And, you know, is this like his trauma, you know, showing through? I don't know if that was a conscious acting yeah. decision, but you can certainly read it that way if you want to. Yeah, I like to read it that way that he's masking. Yeah, really. Um, he's, he's, he's masking even to himself. Um, just how OK he is just just breezing through the world, you know, keeping it everybody at arm's length. 
I did always think just you know as far as he as far as as um uh, you know him sort of not feeling you know feeling a wee bit out of place with the broad comedy stuff. I always thought the first half of series one definitely you still feel like they're fighting their feet a wee bit, but the second half of series one I don't think they put a foot wrong. Um, and it, it does you know split fairly you know cleanly down the middle for me from Dalek onwards. I don't think they put a foot wrong. Mm. Yeah, uh, I mean, in that by, sort of uh, sense. By Empty Child, they've really nailed the comedy. Yeah, yeah. And I think he's with directors that he's more at home with, like Joe mm-hmm. Ahern and, um, oh, Eros Lin. Um, those guys seem to sort of settle him a bit. I don't know. He just, he just maybe maybe it's a bit unfair in Keith Bowick because he, he was first up, you know, to suggest that he was less comfortable with, with that guy, you know, but... Um, yeah, the thing about this scene is, like, in nearly every shot, you can see the TARDIS just over the Doctor's shoulder, and like for me watching this first time, I had no idea, you know, what the significance of this blue box was. Yeah. Um, but for you know, you know, for classic fans, you know, like you get the wee shot of it as Rose leaves the shop as it explodes, and then you see it here where it's very, very prominent in the background, but mm-hmm. they're not drawing any special attention to it until the Doctor walks to it. Yeah. Um, and to her, it's an everyday object. It's just yeah. It's, well, it's, un- until in a few seconds' time, I guess. But <laughs> that's the thing. The doctor is the focus of all these shots, yeah. of all these shots. But it's still there in the background, and it's only you know, it only gains its significance once he interacts with it. Then yeah, it looks massive there though. Like compared the first time I saw that compared to like the the original run, I thought that box is huge. Yeah, which it is. You know, comparatively, I know we've we've had that consciously drawn attention to in the series itself now you know the the the, the, the inner dimensions leaking to the out as the, as the box gets older and stuff like that but Eccleston looked just tiny there in front of that box and he's I don't think he's a, I don't think he's a particularly small guy you know he's he's uh just but yeah I guess the way they shot that later it didn't look like such a massive it does look awesome though I, I much prefer the look of the box in the classic series but um there's still something really appealing about just the way it looks, the way that the 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 way it's been, even the the shade of blue or something they've chosen for it. There it looks kind of, I don't know. It's 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 kind of subtly present in the background. It's not. It's it doesn't look like the MFI cabinet that the, the first Matt Smith box looked like. You know. <clears throat> oh, here we go with. You're never allowed to have Google on the BBC, so we've got search-wise, which of course everybody uses. <laughs> I think to that to this day they're still doing that. I don't think you ever see a BBC program where they where they use Google. You might use the verb, I don't know, but <laughs> I feel like if this was being made now, there'd be like shots of every classic Doctor in. <laughs> oh yeah, one hundred percent. I did love the fact though that he said, you know, um, that it it seems to be a title pastime. So that so they're they're already subtly shading in, just very very gently, the fact that this is the same continuity. Um, when do when we you read get, like the first shots of old Doctors? Is it the next Doctor? It's. Uh, I was about to say it is. Yeah, when the with the info stamps, when this with the right. Cybermen. Does human nature count because of the little sketches in the? I always forget about it. 
Oh yeah, yeah. Even Paul McGann's in there, isn't he? Just, just. Well, what might be Paul McGann? <laughs> it's very scribbly, but I like the concept of these. You know, the photos showing him in the past here. They're just. They're not very good photoshops. <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> I'm so glad he never actually wore that polo neck for real. It's not. A good I look. like the polo neck. I really yeah. like the polo neck look. Okay. Purely because it's a bit of variation from like out of all the doctors, he's the one that has the least variation in his costume. I think. Mm. Um, and I quite like that you can just have. Like I do imagine him in the big finish audio sometimes with the polo neck, just that he's just that it's a bit of a change. <laughs> Yeah, they do have him on the cover wearing that, but I I, I chose, chose to ignore that. <laughs> it's not a primary source for me, <laughs> the cover. So I just went, no, he's not wearing that. Unless they say so explicitly. <laughs> um, when you read the Target novel of this scene, there is, um, you know, the do sort of Rose does flick through a binders and it has all descriptions of the classic doctors and the future ones as well. Like it goes up through, you know, uh, the 10th through 13th doctors and then beyond into some ones that um sort of were speculative at the time um but i always find it really funny that rose saw the fifth doctor and ended up fancying him (laughs) (laughs) that's a wee detail in the target novel that's good i I haven't read that but um was one of the future incarnations um like future beyond even what we've seen like they they mentioned was there was there a wheel was there a wheelchair user doctor or something there was a there was a there was, and there was um, there was a woman with a flaming sword. I think was meant to be like the fourteenth Doctor. Uh-huh. The description sort of matches um, Tania Miller, um, right. and I, I I took that to mean like you know whenever Russell came back, I was like, well, obviously we know who he's going to cast now. <laughs> yeah, the lighting in that shed is brilliant too, isn't it? The the way that they've got the little holes in the side, and it's all it's all blue on one side, and then kind of warm, just one little warm bulb hanging there. Yeah, and that you know, for something that's been shown to kids on a Saturday night, his his one companion is death. That's that's good. Like you know, just just throw that in already. <laughs> just make sure that they know they're not watching something that's completely safe. Um, now you didn't get a Dalek, Connor, but you did get this. Oh dear Lord! Do you know I I was speaking to some friends recently about Doctor Who, um, and like they've always you know sort of taking the mickey out of it a wee bit but um <laughs> a pun unintended but um there was someone asked me recently oh, where should you start which episode should you just you know should i start with for doctor and i was like oh go back and watch rose that's great no problem mm. about an hour later i got a screenshot of mickey and the bin and that was it they haven't watched doctor who since then <laughs> oh yeah i've had that experience I, I introduced a friend to doctor who via a vhs of paradise towers which is which is the one i happen to have with me in school he, he said do you know what? i'll give this doctor who thing a go and instead of just going, by the way, I quite like Paradise Towers, but um, it wasn't the one to introduce somebody to the show with. Let's put it that way. Um, Are you saying my Red Kings were not impressed? He's never watched it again. <laughs> he still hasn't forgiven me. I keep meaning to tell him Bonnie Langford's back. Um, see what he makes of that. It was good to, you know, realize that, oh, you know, we're, we're still going to have some terrible effects in Doctor Who, like. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's dreadful, isn't it? <laughs> I think I'm, I'm just looking here. I'm trying to see. I'm, I'm watching this on my phone. Uh, 
sinful business, I know, but I don't think that rubber strands even track properly to his fingers here, so it's it doesn't yeah. I think it doesn't match up that way. They do not, no. <laughs> I love Mickey's car though. I'm just gonna sit and watch that instead and admire the car. Oh man. I <laughs> Always forget about the burp. <laughs> But yeah, if I'm ever recommending people start this, I always say watch the first two. Because <laughs> yeah. yeah. As yeah. much as I like this episode, there are moments like all of that and like Mickey here in the tactor in the car taxi. And uh Plastic. Yeah, not good. <laughs> like it's that's, just that's not shocking, good. isn't it? <laughs> wow. And the car driving all over the street. Like Rose, Rose is having a particularly dim moment, moment here, but I guess it just has to work for the, the purposes of the the plot. <clears throat> I would like to think that it's a, a subtle commentary on you know Mickey's unavailability in their relationship, but no, it, it's not. Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah, authorial intent is 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 one thing, and um, what, what we can make of it is another. Russell T. Davies has this real gift for hinting at things, um, and like it sort of comes in. It's it's most you know he, he has talked about having, um, you know like the crystalline falls of the Fifth Confederacy, and you know throwing these names out there and letting fans imagine what they look like because we can imagine it much better than they could ever realize on screen. But there's a wee moment in there as well where she's like, um, she says something like, yeah, "That was all Jimmy Stone's fault," and we know where he ended up. And I was like, I like that we're sort of getting hints that they're not feeling the need to explain all of this, um. Like it does feel quite natural that someone just makes an aside. The characters on screen know what it means, and we're just left to imagine. Mm-hmm. Like that feels, you know, there's no, there's no need to explain everything at length. Yeah, yeah, I love that stuff. Such economy and his his world building. It's um... ingests the cork. Brilliant. <laughs> And th- this way, in a moment of introducing the TARDIS, is just superb because she she actually puts herself back in danger in her astonishment <laughs> at this thing. You know, um, it's like she's so freaked out by it that she will step back into you know imminent threat to ju- just to try and take on board what's happening. Had to be so much fun to smash up the restaurant in the block hands suit. I love the way this is all arranged that the TARDIS isn't pushed up against a wall that they do leave space for Rose to walk around and they know they do demonstrate the bigger on the inside effect before they do the console room reveal Mm. little touch of IM Foreman and the gates there as well I never really thought about that until just now you know that they're in a little Almost like junkyardy type space. Mm. Mm. That's that's actually the, you're right. That never ever occurred to me. <laughs> There's a great musical bit coming up as well here because um, the first time that they, well, I suppose it's going to be the second. So here we're getting the running around bit I mentioned earlier. 
But when Rose comes in then, um, in just a wee second, you'll hear a wee bit of the Doomsday theme. And I love that her first step aboard the TARDIS has that little hint towards the end of her adventures. Oh, wow. Like bookends? Yeah, that's really cool. I love the faith that the Doctor's putting in, in her here, too. He's just inside, like, she'll figure it out. Yeah. It's an incredible control room as well. Like, mm-hmm. visually very, very different from... um you know, the classic series sets um, and even from the TV movie one, but you're getting the film familiar elements there with the roundels, but they've been changed. They're not exactly as they were They're there. It's a different take on them as such. Um, you've got the TV movie console sort of, you know, time rotor, you know, floor to ceiling, um, which is pretty cool. But I just love like this TARDIS does feel like its own little world. It does feel very self-contained and safe. Um, I, I, still struggle to think of a new series set that has bit you know beaten this design i i much prefer the the i guess what i think of is the capaldi or, or late smith set um but that i guess that's the part of me that connects back most strongly to the tardis consoles of the 20th century you know but i do love this this there's i think i remember this being described as being a sort of was it russell t davis own production note columns or something before we'd seen it on screen he described it as like a womb-like space or something like that i think i I do think it was better lit in series one and two than it was i don't like it when it's under the brighter lighting in three Mm. in series three and four i think that's sort of warm watery light from the console and the underfloor um you know, lighting works a lot better than the harsher overhead lighting that they use in series three and four. It does make it feel a wee bit more organic, a little bit more alive, and a bit more sort of en- enclosed. And 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 do you know? Do you know what I'm getting at? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, what, I, yeah. I do, absolutely. What, what I like about it is it's almost got this like feeling of fallen empire to it. Like it's this grand space, but because you know the doctors had to change so many things about it to get it to work you know it, it has this it, it, at the same time that it feels warm and, and massive it also feels a little run down and i mean that's both talking to the doctor's character and i think it's also a, a subtle thing to talk about his past too yeah um, the time war as well that right. was the thing i got the when in 2010 they released a tardis handbook which was like a history like a and it's it's partially partly in universe history and partly set design history. It's really interesting, actually. I thought it was at the time, and the I, the intention behind the set was something organic that has been remade and bits have been bolted and grafted on for use in war. Um, and that's mm. that's why it's that's that's the that's the that was the sort of design policy or the design um theory behind the set. See that makes sense, right? But the, but I, I I must say I, I pretty much dislike the um, the first Matt Smith set, and the reason is it has all those sort of grafted on elements. But the TARDIS has done that itself. It's kind of just gone. Oh, this is the sort of thing you like now, just random whimsy, um, hot and cold taps and stuff. You know, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily have to be done like that. But it's the TARDIS just conjuring up this thing. Whereas here, like you can imagine, yes, a guy that's been through the Time War and just building stuff together, like just to bodge stuff to get the thing through it would be grafting on bits that are just, you know, random bits of junk and stuff like that. But yeah, like the, the bicycle pump, you know, you, you would just assume yeah. like, Oh, the doctor did that mm-hmm. to get it but, to work. Yeah. 
Whereas I, I didn't love... really like when they took the same approach for the Matt Smith, con- the first Matt Smith console room, because it was basically saying, Let- let's do the same sort of thing again with grafting on bits. But the TARDIS is kind of just, for some reason, decided to do that. Um, I love, again, that we're getting a little bit of a reference there, just because I'm, I'm, I'm interrupting there. I'm sorry, but it's just because it's okay. been on screen there. We're getting, a, again, a very iconic classic Doctor Who shot in Westminster Bridge, except this time it's been changed that it's the Doctor and his companion running across it instead of the Daleks, oh, you know, yeah, gliding true. across it during the occupation. And there's traffic now, too. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and and it's very much your two thousand and five um, Westminster as well because you got to get that big Millennium wheel in there, and they use it brilliantly. Framing his head in the in the shot. This is again a sort of setting that they came back to a lot in the first Russell era, that sort of grimy factory-like environment, which I really, really like. And it's maybe because this is, you know, triggering a lot of nostalgia for mm-hmm. that era of Doctor Who. But I'm thinking of like um the Cyber Factory in series two, um uh the ship in forty two all has this sort of grimy, hot and you know, dirty industrial environment. Um I always think they're quite evocative. I really like that sort of setting. I, I like it, but I like it confined to the RTD era, if that makes sense. I, I, I do like that when they discover, at some point, obviously the, the economics of the thing tipped in favor of inside somehow working more cost effectively than going on, on location to these big factories and things. And suddenly you started getting ships, you know, design, interior built designs that complemented the, the, the new grading and everything that they were using in, in the sort of Matt Smith and Peter Capaldi era and stuff like that. But yeah, here it just organically fits so well with the way they were doing it, the way they had to do it, basically. And um, this yeah. is also the first time we're getting, you know, this like these flaming like red and orange and yellow colors that are so common in RTD's era, whereas once we get into the Moffat era, you know, like blue and green become more of the, the common motifs. Yeah, yeah. I like I like the, the warm palette, that's true. I love this design for the consciousness as well. It does feel a bit more sort of accurate to the intention because here you've got a great big vat of molten plastic rather than the tentacled horror from um from spearhead that you see mm-hmm. um but i do like that you can draw the connections between them as well like this is the consciousness after it's been through the time war it does feel like it's been melted down and turned into this slag as a result of the war um so there you know previously i would have been maybe oh the two don't really go together in my head but they do now it does feel quite like quite a nice progression Mm-hmm. and that, that, that's again that's that's a case of like don't 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 scare joe public you know use the word anti-plastic no, no techno babble just anti-plastic that will do for now <laughs> and um we, we'll ease you into the more scientific baffle gab stuff later on which which but by the time I think they got to series four or something, the world had been converted into Doctor Who fans. So it was like, yeah, we can just throw all that stuff at you. But 
episode one, anti-plastic, that's what you're getting. <laughs> we're not, we're not going to scare you with anything more challenging than that. <clears throat> the first of many Jackie on the phone sequences to come the whole sequence in the foundry is just it's a little static for me like you, you can start to feel like it's really just Eccleston like struggling against these two extras in you know Auton suits for a long time yeah, this must have been such a steep learning curve, though. Like it's, it's oh just, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love as well that um, what Russell had said at the time. I remember is like he wanted to take this big iconic classic Doctor Who moment that everyone knows because like the dummies emerging from the shop windows and Spearhead is fairly iconic. He says, but we want to do it properly. Like we're actually going to see them smash the windows this time. Yeah, um, which is quite fun. Yeah, this yeah the the this sequence is just fantastic. The look on um, Clive's face, you know, that, that that moment of, oh, yeah, I'm going to be dead in two seconds. Yeah, it's, it's come just, for me now, finally. So yeah. I've read the script for Rose. I have the 2005 script book there, um, which I was always disappointed they never did again. And I think the script direction here is something like that. So that shot where Clive's face just relaxes and he knows it's coming. Um, mm. That's the bit where the, the autonomous gun cracks open. Uh, close up on Clive, he knows. And that's like, oh, it's just really, really well done. Hmm. That's actually pretty brutal. And it's a really quick shot there um, where it's just the Autons gun firing in really quick succession three or four times there. And it feels brutal, like they're just firing indiscriminately uh, into the crowd. Well, and, and you've already communicated when Clive you know, got killed that every time... When that goes off, someone dies. Yeah. So, and like they don't ever go gratuitous. Like it's never seen. Like you don't actually see any bodies falling here. I don't even know if there's bodies on screen, like dead people, uh, at any stage here. Um, but there's just a general feel of carnage. But you can hear these gunshots, and you know what's happening, as you say. There's something pretty tragic in that bit of Jackie as well, being hunted down by the three brides, you know, given everything oh, you know, yeah. we found out later on with Pete. So that's actually a really nice wee touch there from Russell as well. I love this thing too, where, where Rose you know, refers to not having her A-levels and so on before she has her big hero moment here, because it's a bit like, it slightly echoes the Doctor's own thing of being, you know, uh, he, very, very intuitively gifted, but academically a disaster when he moves to the academy and stuff like that, you know. Um, and it's it's a case of what you do with what you have and not, not necessarily um, the book smarts and all that, you know, and Rose has, has that in spades. <laughs> and she's got emotional intelligence and re real um, actual intelligence, but she's just maybe not had those privileges in life of academia and doing well in school and stuff like that which the doctor can relate to very much
God, it must have been a logistical nightmare just trying to get the whole thing off the ground and filming all that. I love that wee detail there, actually, of Rose turning down to see all this, you know, carnage and adventure and happening, and she's grinning. Um, oh, yeah. You know, that she feels, you know, I suppose from her point of view, she feels she's found her calling. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've forgotten how big the explosions in this thing were. It's really... <laughs> I do find it really creepy the way that, you know, like, there's one here, like, the way they're still just slightly jerking. Yeah. Like, it's, and it's just the fact that it's the leg. Like, that's really creepy. And the head's tip turned around the opposite way, so it just looks like his, his limbs are unnaturally bent the wrong way or something. Yeah, it's the way they're almost human. That's mm. Mickey at his most um, cartoonish and useless here before he transforms into the, the hero later on. <laughs> I think there was a story about the a club or something next door to this being really, really loud where they were trying to film and then um, Russell T. Davis or somebody having to go in and <laughs> ask them to turn it down. Um, The, the late night revelers of Cardiff. Very green screeny looking at, isn't it? I was going to say it's actually. I I I actually think it's pretty impressive, and I love that from the word go. There was no of there was no of you know none of the classic series restriction of you can't see the console room through the doors because there's no reason why you shouldn't see it especially when there's no interior door in this control room um, so I love from the work go they're determined like yes there's the control room behind them well I, I, I sort of like it in the new series but I, I will defend the little void the little black void space the little, the little um, uh, vestibule area that, that there is in the in the classic because You've got to account for those different looking doors. And also I think it's good if it's just not if it's not conspicuous to, to the the average onlooker, you know, which which now it is. We have to assume something happened in the time war that just made him have to go like even more back to basics with that with that. So just but um yeah, so I, I like it in the new series, but I, I still prefer the little black interior for the the old stories it's it's more mysterious and, and only a privileged few get to know what's in there this here is all great um this stuff here about the about the missed opportunity and rose you, like rose regrets it immediately um and it's the whole stuff about the time travel is not you know i always felt that that was just coincidental like i never put much stock by the whole it also traveled in time thing it's uh she regrets it he's come straight back she's not going to miss this chance again Hmm. And how often do you get a second chance like that to you know rethink a major decision? That's so true. I miss the next time titles like this. I re- there was a beautiful art in the next time trailers. Mm-hmm. 
This is all from the first five minutes of the episode too. <laughs> but it feels like this could be the entire episode, and then you find yeah. out just how just how much actually goes on in it. We'll have to get Zoe Wanamaker's voice in there, like. Awesome. And I love the end of the world. That, that, but, you know, that second episode was the one. This one was good. Like, so, really good, solid way to start it. And then it was episode two that I thought, yeah, this is this is really something. Like, um, I mean, it was fully on board anyway, because it was Doctor Who. But I think episode two was like, you know, wow, this is really... Yeah. I was I was a little unsure after this episode. I mean, I loved I mean, I liked the characters and everything. Just the style of it was just so much different that I was like, "Is am I am I going to like this? Is this my yeah. really my kind of show?" But then, yeah, End of the World just knocked it out of the park. That's a ten out of ten episode for me. I yeah, love it. I, I give it ten out of ten as well. This is more like a, a good solid eight, but like almost intentionally so because it knows it knows it has to tick certain boxes and it can't do everything <laughs> so right yeah You've yeah got, i mean what did they have 11 million people watching or something mm. like that yeah yeah i was it was I, I i understand more now that it was big big news at the time especially in the uk because it was you know like i i suppose long had long enough had gone past in the general public's mind for it to be oh could you remember that thing we used to watch and love and it was it was a bit rubbish but it was a bit brilliant at the same time rather than the you know like you really do notice the production values decreasing as the classic series nears its end. And that's, I don't feel that's uncharitable to say, because when you watch survival, you know, it's not exactly, uh, you know, a big glossy production. And um, there's very, very little, I don't think there's any studio bound stuff in it. It's all out on location yeah. and they don't have to build any sets. Yeah. For, what about I, that cat? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love the cat. The cat's side. I do. I do. That's <laughs> iconic. What's um, really sad though about that is that they're they're beginning to learn to make a virtue of that, you know, and, and keep it very sort of like like Rona Monroe scripting something in in like a, a rundown modern housing estate, you know, with with just a little bit of sci-fi stuff sketched in. It, it is how you handle that that budget decrease, but they they try they obviously tried to continue to be Doctor Who as was for a year or two, you know, like 87 or whatever, which is, which is like season 20. Anyway, I'm getting into a whole, uh, I'm going off on a whole sidebar here that I shouldn't. But yeah, um, just to see it back and, and just re-injected with enthusiasm and money and and um, and, and, his, and his writing, RTD's writing and, and, and vision for it was just extraordinary. Um, yeah, and it's still, like I've, as I, as I was saying before we started there, like I just I still have moments even now, nearly twenty years on, where I'm kind of going, I still can't believe, like you know, this should be an alternate universe or something. <laughs> so, but Doctor Who's actually back, and it's 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 been a major success, and it's really loved. And like children, and I think Sarah Jane had her own spinoff. Like it's just it's like mad stuff. Like you know, if you really stop and think about what's happened, and we're going into season fourteen. Like yeah. Yeah, we're more than halfway through the the classic series like seasons at this point, mm-hmm. and no no real sign of well, hopefully touch wood and everything, but no no real sign of that, you know, going away anytime soon. Um, oh, it's getting it's, it's at the moment it's getting a whole new lease of life, and it does feel quite good that we're re- revisiting Rose here. You know, the first beginning, um, mm. and we're we're getting 
you know this 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 you know we're doing it now just on the verge of this new beginning for for the series um overall what would you say is your impression of rose as as an episode then um and you can talk i suppose uh, how you felt about it at the time and how you feel about watching it now um greg what do you think of what do you think of rose well i mentioned earlier you know it was a little it, it was it was hard, hard to take as too intense, but it was, it was a, a big shift, you know, even going into it, understanding that of course, this is now 2005, they actually have money. Like it's going to be shot like a modern drama. It's not going to be a, you know, three camera studio thing. That was all we had of Dr. Who with the exception of the TV movie on, on TV. And so you know, to see this and to have it be so different from what came before was, it was, it was challenging. Like, you know, for someone like me who had, who had been raised on the classic series, it was like, what on earth? But at the same time, like it's, it's compelling, like it pulls you into it and you've got just a plus performances from your doctor and from your companion right off the bat. And I mean, and that, that right there will take any fan of the show and, and pull them in and hold on to them, or at least it should. Um, looking, looking at it now, it's, it's a very effective pilot. You know, we've, we've seen pilot episodes of shows are always a little ropey. They're always finding their feet a little bit, and this is no different. But again, like by the end of these 45 minutes, you know, you've very clearly defined, you know, who Rose is, you've learned, you haven't completely defined who the doctor is, but you've learned a lot about him. There's enough mystery to keep you intrigued. You've started to see their relationship growing. Like it, with all the, with all the sci-fi trappings, like the, the show has, is, is more character oriented now. And that really comes out in this episode. And it, it's a really compelling reason to, stick around for episode two which as i also said before is just stellar so yeah i i like it it's it it, it does exactly what it's supposed to do and what about you mark um I, without wanting to repeat a lot of what greg said because like I, I just find myself nodding along in agreement with with so much of that um i'll just say that um this episode it really does what it needed to do right and and um I still, when I watch it, there's still this thing I can't entirely lose, which is just this kind of, it's it's almost like I'm still back there, just 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 like a, a tight knot of tension going, please let it be good. And, and I, can, I can see it sort of taking its first stumbling steps, even though it is very confidently written. Um, and, and, you know, those, those two leads are just excellent from the word go. Um, there is still that thing in me of just like, until I get to the end of the world, I don't really get comfortable. And um, I remember, do you remember that thing between between Rose and the end of the world? It was the morning of, of the broadcast of, of episode two that the news had broken Doctor Who quits. That was on the front of the newspapers. And I remember just going around and getting a few things in the shop and seeing those, those headlines and going, oh God, like, where are we now? Like, how's this going to go? But by then, I think even... I think even by that point or within days of it, there was confirmation that there was going to be a second series, that there was going to be a Christmas special, that the, that the BBC was sort of dancing in delight over these ratings and everything. And I think that just gave me permission to sort of relax and go, look, even the Rose doesn't feel like this perfect thing. It's done a really good, it's, 
you know, I'll always be fond of it. I'll, I'll never, it's not going to be one of my all time favorite episodes or anything. Um, but it, it, it had to do so much heavy lifting and it does it so well. Like it's, it's, even though it can look a little bit clunky in places, it's doing an amazing job and it, it clearly worked. And mostly what I feel towards it is, is, is gratitude and admiration, not necessarily total enjoyment, um, but it's certainly enough enjoyment and, and, Eccleston and, and Piper in particular just get off the ground running and you just you just can't help enjoy their company from the word go. I think it's best viewed sort of in context of how it was, you know, what it was intended for at the time. So by that, I mean, here's, you know, it needs to be the perfect opener again for new, you know, new viewers. So it's, there's, there's enough thrown in there i think for clans of you know for fans of the uh, classic series to go oh i recognize that or oh that's that's aimed at me so there's a lot of wee sort of very deft references um and you know it, it, it effectively remakes spearhead from space um in in some form or another um but the way it's structured and the way it's done that we follow rose through learning about the doctor and learning um you know who the doctor is what the doctor does um it's all very much aimed overtly at, at at someone who has never seen the show before. And I've always found it a bit difficult to rewatch because of that, because you're sitting watching Rose, you know, type into computer about doctors and blue boxes. And it's like, <laughs> we, we as viewers know all what all of this means and what it's about. Um, but that's what it needed to be at the time, you know, to draw in a new audience and to, and to introduce it to people who had never seen it before and to introduce it to people who had maybe forgotten, um, you know, people who, who, you know, didn't read the big finish or didn't read the, the Virgin New Adventures or listen to big finish or, or, or any of that sort of thing. Um, but as I say, looking on it now, having, you know, with me having seen a lot of the classic series and done big finish and all that, um, there's a there's enough wee references in there to make it quite cool to go. Oh, this is Doctor Who. You know, this is the same thing that I remember watching, um, which is quite good. I think Eccleston and Piper are fantastic from the off. Like they, you know, Christopher Eccleston. We we talk so often, or I talk so often about how brilliant he was. He was the perfect doctor doctor for the time. Um, even more so, I think. Like I don't think. Um, like I think so half the reason why the first few series work so well is that you do get this damaged Time War Doctor and then you, you sort of get Rose coming in and her influence on him sort of does brighten him up again and does sort of temper his, 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 his slightly darker side which you get a bit more with Eccleston and then you get the happy-go-lucky David Tennant Doctor um, at least for a while hmm. Um, so that's they, I cannot fault them at all they were the perfect people to uh regenerate the show um and and russell you know there's there's nothing i can say about russell t davies as a showrunner and, and as a writer that hasn't been said before because he is legendary and rightly so um so yes uh, it's 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 a great opener for the series it's a mm -hmm. great way to introduce new people to doctor who because it's explicitly designed to be that way um but it does a lot of the heavy lifting of introducing and doing the, you know, the first bigger on the inside thing that by the time the, the end of the world comes around, you can just jump into this new adventure and then you can go on and do it again with the unquiet dead. And it just keeps going then that you're not having to do this set up because um, it's already all been done 
with Rose and it, it it does leave the series in a place that it can go on and 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 just run, you know. I'll tell you what, Russell T. Davis will always have my eternal gratitude for is I remember when they were they had that stop press announcement in Doctor Who magazine that it was coming back and everything. Um around the time of the, the breaking news on the on the radio. And so short, shortly after whatever it was within days. Um and he was quoted in this Stop Press article, I think, is saying, look, I'm still in the process of making decisions. I don't even know if it's going to be a content, a, a, a continuation or a reboot. And the word reboot put chills through me because I, I hate that. You know, I thought, like, just the, particularly Doctor Who, like, you just don't need to, like, don't throw the baby out of the bathwater here, you know. And he didn't. And he, I don't, to be honest, I don't think he was ever going to be able to bring himself to do that, truly, Anyway, but when it came back and it was a continuation, even though it was very softly seated in at the beginning, I was so grateful for that, you know. Um, so yeah, and 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 he looked after after it in exactly the right. Oh, and the other the other thing I was worried about was he he had done this thing in a series called Queer as Folk, where he had a character actually say, "Paul McGann doesn't count," right? And I didn't like that. I didn't like that he'd made a character say that because I thought. Well, maybe he thinks that, you know, um, but just because he's a writer writing a character doesn't mean to say, and ultimately it turns out, you know, McGann's, McGann's as canon as anyone else, as he always was, you know, there was never any doubt about that. I know you'll agree wholeheartedly on that, Connor. Um, but uh, yeah, just, it, it did give me pause for thought of it. And then just, it, but it's like, I think Russell T. Davis is such a generous guy that, it, that even if he did momentarily think that and agree with that character, he said, no, do you know what? The series is better with maximum inclusion and generosity, and and everything belongs to it. You know, it doesn't it doesn't disown its past. Um, even even if we just very gently, you know, embark on this journey journey to start with, and we don't, you know, we might have a Cyberman head in episode six or something, but we're just <laughs> just got tread very lightly to begin with, and then, you know, once we've got people in the palm of our hands, then we're going to start just being like, yeah, just full on continuity references and everything else not not continuity references without purpose but just the show sort of saying i'm not ashamed of my past it's it's part of me you know um it's a vital part of me you know so so um anyway sorry i'm, I'm rambling on a wee bit but you, you get my broader point there I, I just i just think he was he was the well do you know what the series just simply wouldn't be back without him and um and and, and thank goodness for everything he did and did right and also don't, I mean, don't overlook, not just that he had to incorporate, or not incorporate, but had to respect, you know, 26 years of a of the classic series. Like, the fact that he was such a fan, and the fact that he was involved to some, you know, minor extent in the wilderness years. I mean, he wrote a new adventure, one of the best new adventures. Granted, you don't have any kind of references to that era, but at the same time, what does he do when he's looking for writers for the show? You know, he goes and he gets Paul Cornell and he goes and he gets, you know, Gareth Roberts and he goes and he gets, uh, not from not from the New Adventures, but from Big Finish, you know, goes and gets Rob Sherman, you know, like he's taking these very, very talented authors and in some cases, even having them use like old concepts from the, the spinoff material and, and weaving it all together into this brilliant show. And I mean, it, it needed, it, it's, it's mind boggling how lucky we are that, that Russell Davis exists because yeah. 
to have someone who is that much of a fan of Doctor Who and yet simultaneously that skilled of a television producer able to put those things together and give us Doctor Who like look yeah. I love Stephen Moffat I love his era of Doctor Who I don't know if Stephen Moffat could have successfully resurrected Doctor Who no but I Russell T Davis so. did yeah, he, he needed to be the, the first guy. And, and and actually, just as you were talking about that, the person who came into my mind as sort of the antithesis of what you've just described is, and, and I don't I don't mean this as a slight against the guy, because I think in all sorts of ways he's brilliant, but Mark Gittes is so close. Like, he's such a fan that I think when he writes stuff, he's he's you can see that he's too close to it. He can't step away and do the things that Russell T. Davis does in terms of, of what should and shouldn't be there. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's sort of... He's too much of a traditionalist in a way, and, and RTD has the right balance of, of keeping the past and also putting in some of those more radical or, uh, you know, yeah, getting all those voices into the choir, like, like you know, um, like Paul Cornell and people people like that and Matt Jones and those, those people who, who really kind of made the show grow up with... Um, the people who, who who stayed with it in the wilderness years, but bring bring those voices in and obviously make it sort of attuned to a family audience in a way that it couldn't be, you know, obviously they couldn't do like a full on your adventures type of thing. And it wouldn't have been the right thing to do, but um, yeah, that, that to, to juggle all those balls in the air and, and have it come out just so the equilibrium of it just come out so perfect. I, I, I still look back in amazement at how he did it. I think it's good to have someone like Mark Gatiss in there, though, too, because, I mean, even even when he was writing new adventures, like he was always more on a traditionalist bent than, mm-hmm. than some of the others. And, you know, I think that's a that's a good voice to have. I mean, I agree, like his TV episodes don't really, you know, push the, the boat out at all, but they're you know, they're they're solid, entertaining Doctor Who stories. So, I, yeah. you know, I can't can't complain about that too much. Well, I do. I do enjoy them. And I think he's an important voice to have in the mix. But I, I suppose what I mean is. If he'd been a showrunner, um, I don't think it would have. I think it would have been uh, maybe a, 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 a what do you call it? A, a respectable attempt to get a modern audience to watch it again. Um, but it would have been. Would it just wouldn't have? It would. I think there would have been failure to launch. Frankly, yeah, I don't. Um, I don't think it would have worked either. I think yeah, you're right about yeah. that. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's like there's a lot of stuff I pick up on more now like through series one and stuff like I've already mentioned. And it's, it's a testament to Russell that, as you say, he can walk the fine line between being, a, a, you know, the competent TV producer and being the Doctor Who nerd um, and throwing in all these sort of deft little references that don't distract because they never ever, I just thought, oh, cool, that's an alien thing they've mentioned. And then it does sort of tie back in in a way. Um, like the ones that come to mind are in, um, in the long game, they mentioned Kronkbergers and like Kronkbergers is first from a new adventure. They, they were first mentioned in a new adventures novel. Um, as far as I know, um, there's stuff like the lunar penal colony. Col- sorry, I cannot say the word colony for the, <laughs> for the life of me, but the lunar penal colony um, that the doctor is sentenced to in um, the parting of the ways uh, is, or, or bad wolf is, um, as far as I know, the same one that the third Doctor is sent to in uh, Frontier in Space, um, and you actually see him in it. So that's, you know, there's stuff like that that gets thrown in there that people who have seen the classic series can go, oh, cool, that's a thing that I recognize. Um, 
but doesn't distract from you know it never distracted me as a new viewer um i think that's a very very fine line to walk and, and russell has always treaded it marvelously that's just an example of the sort of things you've been talking about there um so i think that's probably just about all we have time for unless there's anything else that you would like to add no i, I think um that covers it pretty comprehensively i think we've, i think we've, <laughs> agreed I think we've, yeah comprehensive is the word there um so uh i'm I'm sure we'll do more of these in future i've really enjoyed doing that actually i'm I'm looking forward to doing it again um and thank you all very much for listening i i I hope you've enjoyed our 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 commentary on rose and we'll be back for more spodcasting soon i'll say thank you to mark thanks and thank you to greg always a pleasure and we'll be back for more spodcasting next week thank you and goodbye